Okay, this is the Chumash portion of Parsha Shoftim for Friday. So we're beginning here with verse 14, where we speak about a, a specific transgression, moving back the boundaries. You should not move back the boundaries of someone else, which the early ones marked out, and in your inheritance of the land that God gave you. Meaning, if you have two farmers, farmer A if he pushes back the boundary between himself and Farmer B, he now is de facto stealing Farmer B's territory because he's pushing back the boundary into Farmer B's land, so he's getting more land. As Rashi explains, that this term means to back away. So you're pushing back the marker to expand your own field. So a person could question this and say, well, why is the Tell you were telling me this. We already have a commandment, don't rob. So Rashi explains that what this is teaching us is if a farmer, it doesn't be a farmer, if a person does this in the land of Israel, they actually have two transgressions. They, of course, are robbing, stealing, and additionally, they are pushing back the boundary. If a person did this exact same act outside the land of Israel, this commandment doesn't apply because the verse said clearly, in the land that God gave you to possess. So if you did this in Chicago, you'd be a thief. But if you did this in Israel, you have two issues. The next verse, one witness should not stand up against any man for any sin regarding any sin that he commit. By the word of two witnesses or three, should a matter be confirmed. So Rashi says this verse is a paradigm, what's called in Hebrew a binyan of. It's stating a general rule. Throughout all of Torah, whenever it says witness, it always means two. Unless the Torah specifically says one witness. Because we are just being told here that one witness doesn't count as witnesses. Now, what we're going the idea of witness means, according to Jewish law, for someone to receive punishment from a human court, they had to have been witnessed committing the act by two kosher witnesses, two people that the courts deemed to be true witnesses, and valid for witness, and those witnesses, or someone else, two other people, had to have warned them. Either the witnesses warned them, don't do this, you know, I'll do this, for this you will be obligated to get lashed, or whatever, and then the witnesses watch them, ignore them, and do it. Or two different people witness, and two different people warn, but in either case, there has to be warning and witness for an act to be liable. Then the verse says, for any sin. So Rashi explains that for anybody to be punished, either corporal punishment or financial punishment, you need two witnesses. But a single witness does have a certain power, and that is if somebody comes, but only one person, and witnesses a certain crime, then that causes that the litigant, that the person who's being judged here has to give an oath that he didn't do it. In other words, like let's say someone says, um, I lent so-and-so money and he didn't pay me back. That's a roofing incident. Shimon said, you never lent me money. What are you talking about? And then a third person comes and says, yes, I witnessed it. I saw it that Ruvain lent Shimon the money. So now we have one witness. That doesn't count for his guilt, but it counts enough that Shimon has to be willing to make an oath in God's name that this never happened. And if he's not willing to make the oath, then he has to pay. The verse says, by the 
word, literally by the mouth of the two witnesses, which means, Rashi says, they can't write their testimony in a letter, and they can't have an interpreter stand between them and the judges. It has to be by their mouth. The next verse, now we get the idea of a false witness. Here we're saying you have to have two witnesses. Now we speak about the idea of false witnesses, which we also mentioned yesterday. If a false witness stands against a man to testify a fabrication against him, so Rashi explains that a person, two people, obviously witnesses have to be two, could come and testify against someone, so to speak, to get him in trouble, to create horrific problems for him sometimes, depending on what he's a key, they are saying he did. So how do we remove false witnesses? That there have to be other witnesses that come and disqualify them, meaning Mr. A and B come, and they say, we saw so-and-so um, transgressing the Shabbos. We went over to him. We told him there's a transgression of the Shabbos. And we said, if you do this, you're going to get the death penalty. And he didn't listen to us and did it anyway. Now, pretend they're false witnesses that for some horrific reason want someone to get killed. And the judge says, really? What time of day was it? Where were you? Where was he? When did this happen? Okay, fine. Now we've established what these witnesses are saying as their testimony. What needs to happen now to remove the testimony of witness A and B is they have to find out other people who say, what do you mean, A and B? You're claiming you were on this and this block at this and this time, and therefore you saw this guy? You were with us then. We were all together shopping in the mall. So we witnessed that you were with us, so therefore your witness, your testimony is false. And that's how they remove, I mean, of course, if it was false witness, that is the ultimate way to remove the witness's words. Next verse. So this verse Actually, when I read it, I had the exact same question. It's a very obvious question here. It says, Then the two men who have the dispute shall stand before God, before the Kayanim, and the judges will be in those days. So the question in my head was, which two men? We've got a bunch of different men's here that we're talking about. So Rashi clarifies that when we say the two men, we mean these false witnesses. How do we know? So the commentaries explain, because whenever... If it was, in other words, we have two groups of people we could be wondering who this is talking about. Either it's talking about the witnesses or it's talking about the litigants. But the litigants, there could be 50 of them. There could be five of them. There could be four of them. There could be three of them. I don't know how many litigants there are. But two, I know, is a code word for witnesses. Well, what if there were five witnesses? It doesn't make a difference. If there's five witnesses, we still view them as two. Meaning two witnesses create testimony. So however many witnesses you have, they're, in, they're de facto two. So therefore, since it says, and the two men, it means those two witnesses, and then you have to add an and. So the two men and the litigants, those who have the dispute, Razarashi explains, they have to stand says, before God. Now what do we say before God? They're standing before the judges. So Rashi says that that's how you're supposed to view the judges, as if you're standing in front of God. And it says, for the judges will be in those days. I mean, well, obviously. So why is the verse adding that? To tell us that whoever the judge is, we have to give him respect. Every judge says Yiftach in his generation is like Shmuel in his generation. Now, Yiftach was considered the most ignorant of the judges. Shmuel was considered the greatest of the judges. And yet we have to look at the Yiftach. Obviously, he was very, very great if he was a judge. We're just saying this relatively speaking, as the Shmuel. And Rashi is saying we have to treat them. Rashi gave us fairly recently the same comment just he was saying if you, there's a judge and he seems inferior to those who preceded him, 
You have to listen to him. But here Rashi is saying, not only do we have to listen to him, we have to give him honor. We have to truly honor him as if he had this greatness of those that preceded him. Next verse. Now these judges should inquire well, meaning these two witnesses came. Well, the judges, these two witnesses are coming and saying, we saw so-and-so desecrating the Shabbos. We warned him. We witnessed it. He desecrated the Shabbos. Well, now the judges have to figure out, are these witnesses saying the truth? And this person needs to be put to death? Or are they being false and trying to hurt another person in this fashion? So they say, inquire very well. And in our scenario here, the witness is a false witness. He testified falsely against his brother. Obviously, sometimes the witness is a real witness. But here... I mean, in either case, it's unfortunate, but here it's, you know, these two witnesses really were trying to cause another person to die. So Raji says the judges shall inquire well. They have to very well cross-examine these witnesses many, many, many ways to determine if these witnesses are correct or not. And behold, in this thing, they realize that the witnesses were false. Now, it says the witness was false, which is in the singular, but Rashi clarifies something he just told us a few verses ago, that if we're talking about a witness, it has to be two. So even when it says the witness, I might think, oh, the witness, that definitive article means it's one. No, it still means it's two, because if it wasn't two, nothing would be happening here. Next verse, so you should do to him as he conspired to do to his brother, and you should destroy the evil from your midst. So it says you should do to him as he conspired. And this teaches us a very interesting law that if two false witnesses come and they, God forbid, want to try to get a Jew killed by saying he did something for which you deserve capital punishment, and as they're conspiring and trying to get him killed, it comes out that they're, false, they're actually false witnesses, then they receive that punishment. They're killed. But if... Unfortunately, the strange tragedy happens, and the judges don't realize, and they actually accept the testimony of this false witness, these false witnesses, and the person is put to death. Then, and then later it comes out that actually they were false. Then they don't receive the punishment. They only receive it if it's still in the conspiring stage. That's what Rashi says we learn from the words as they conspire to do. But if it became the actual stage, then they do not receive the punishment. So the verse says that they conspired to do to his brother. What do you mean to his brother? So Rashi says this teaches us a very specific point. Generally, in law, if whatever your gender is, the punishment is the same. If a, a man or a woman desecrates the Shabbos, it's the same punishment. If a man or a woman eats something not kosher, it's the same punishment. But if the married daughter of a kohen committed adultery, she, being the daughter of a Kohen, who's such, supposed to be such a holy person, is put to death by the death that we call burning, which in those days meant that they drank this fiery liquid that burnt them up from the inside, not like a cockpit auto face situation. And the man is, who would have this relationship with her has a different death punishment. He has strangulation, chenek. And burning is considered worse. So that's an unusual, unusual situation where the man and the woman actually did the same crime. They both committed adultery, but there's two different punishments. She's getting a more severe one because she's defiling the priesthood that she's a daughter of a priest and did this act. So the verse here is saying they get punished like they conspired against their brother, meaning 
if there was a scenario that these two false witnesses, for some reason, they really don't like this lady, and they make up this whole story that she committed adultery, which she didn't. It's a false story. And it comes out, thank God, it comes out that it was false and she never committed adultery and they just made up the story because they for some reason want her to die. And they get she wasn't killed yet. It came out in the conspiring stage. At this point, they have to suffer what would have been her punishment. Well, her punishment would have been burning, death by that hot liquid. But here, because a man would have a different punishment than a woman and they're men, so they get the punishment of the man. They get death, but it's death by strangulation. And the Rashi spends a long time saying, but this is the only situation where it's different. And in any other case, if false witnesses testify against a woman, they would get the same punishment as a woman, which is the same punishment as a man, because this is the only situation where we have this differentiation. Next verse. And those who remain shall listen and fear and they shall not continue against you such an evil thing in your midst. Which means that everyone has to know about it. In other words, this is, God forbid, a horrible situation. The two Jews came, and they deliberately created this fabrication to get another person in trouble. So from here we see, Rashi says, that we have to announce this. The court has to announce, so-and-so are killed because they were found to be false witnesses in court. That everyone should take a lesson, oh my gosh, because it is, it is truly that horrific. Next verse, your eye shall not pity, a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. Now, of course, this is a very famous verse that's usually misunderstood as like literally if someone wanted to gouge out someone's eye, his eye is gouged out. We do not do that. As Rashi says clearly, this means the payment of money. In all of these situations, it is not, God forbid, the literally that limb but it's a payment of money. In other words, in our situation here, let's say we had witnesses who conspired, um, well, witnesses who are deliberately false are punished as they conspired. Let's say the Torah said, which of course it doesn't say, that someone who, who mutilates someone is mutilated, which will mean then if these false witnesses came and they're saying you mutilated someone for which you would be mutilated, so then these false witnesses should be mutilated. But the first, but we're saying here, as Raj explains, no, 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 we're not saying that. We're saying a value of money. So if witnesses wrongfully wanted to convict someone for the payment of an eye, it doesn't mean that then, oh, you said he mutilated someone else's eye, so your eye should be gouged out. No. God forbid, just as the other person's eye wouldn't have been gouged out. In both of them, the situation is money. Okay, we are in the middle, and we just finished the verses and Rashi's of chapter 19. Have a good Shabbos.